It is Chavchas Marcheshva on Tavshin Pei Gimel, the 28th of the month of Marcheshva, 5783. Here at the database with Rabbi Yeshua Eisenberg, we're here at Inyana Diyomi. We're going to take a look at a connection, which I could not help but notice, between this week's Parsha, Parsha's Toldos, and today's Daf, which, like today's date, also is Chavchas 28 in Mesechus Nadarim. The Gemara had been discussing the concept of Nadarim and Shvuos in the case of Onsen, where circumstances force you to issue such a false promise, a false pledge. And in this case, the Gemara is discussing different times where there is halachic permission to mislead a person, even to use the expression of an oath or a pledge, even though you don't really mean it. The obvious connection that this bears to our Parsha is what we find with Yaakov Avinu, not necessarily in the context of a swear, though we do find swearing early on in the Parsha, when Yaakov Avinu makes Esav swear to sell his Bechura. There's a whole separate discussion in Lamdus whether Esav is halakhically able to swear with regards to something that does not yet exist, namely the rights to serve in the base of Migdash, which would be granted to the Bechurin later on. But what I am referring to is later on in the Parsha, when Yaakov Avinu clearly misleads Yitzchak, according to the instructions of Rivka Aminu. And Yaakov does this, even if not, once again, in the context of a swear, but we do at least have to confront the issue of Midvar Shekir Tirchak, a different Isser that we have in the Torah, that we have to distance ourselves as much as possible from uttering anything that's not true. And of course, Ganevas Das, a separate issue, but related, um, which plainly means tricking somebody and the question of how it is that Yaakov Avinu can do such a thing. Now, although this had been the topic of discussion in the Gemara, and it does come up in our parasha, I didn't notice an explicit word connection at first, and I wasn't planning on talking to it until I saw the following Gemara, once again on Chavches in Nadarim, where the Gemara is discussing where a person might try to convince the victimizer. So the different versions of the, that the Gemara suggests, different possibilities who, of who might be threatening him, there might be Harogan, there might be murderers, or there might be people who are thieves who might try to steal his money, or unlawful tax collectors. In other words, not regular tax collectors who are, ta- who are collecting legally, but illegal tax collectors. So among these individuals who might try to, to harm the individual, based on the financial matter. So suppose the individual wants to swear that the objects that the individual might want to steal from him, he might want to take a pledge to suggest that they are really property of the king and they can't collect it from him. So for example, the person might say that the fruits of the world should be ushered to me if these objects over here do not belong to the king. And the Gemara asks the following question, Kevin de Amar ye asru, once he says the words, they shall be usr, so itsaru alaykal peri alma. At that point, all of the fruits of the world should be usr to him. And even though, again, the Mishnah and the Gemara over here discuss different scenarios where maybe that pledge will not be considered binding, even if he uses the Lashon of a pledge, he uses the Lashon of Nedr, perhaps the Lashon of Shvua, and we might say it's not that it's not binding. In this circumstance, the Gemara suggests that once he says the words that these are ushered to me, even if we can justify his reason for saying it, 
it seems that the the questioner of the of the Gemara is suggesting that really once he says the words they are usher to me, even if he's going to say something afterwards, but at that point they should already be usher whatever is in his mind, whatever is in his heart. So the Gemara says no, because you know what he says, Omer hayom. He's not saying that the fruits of the world are forever usher to him, but he says. They are usher to me hayom today. And this leaves an opening that at least later in the future you can eat the fruits, even though right now he's saying, um, according in accordance with this pledge, really, they should be usher to him, because after all, the fruits do not belong to the king. Or I should say the objects do not belong to the king. So really, the fruits should be usher to him. But because he says hayom, then the fruits of the world will only be usher to him today, so he won't eat them today, but he could eat from them tomorrow. Of course, the Gemara doesn't like this because that doesn't solve the problem. Why? Because if he says that the fruits of the world will be ushered to me today, if these objects do not belong to the king, so lo right? In this case, the Gemara is discussing the tax collector. If he says, oh, if these objects do not already belong to the king, then the fruits of the world should be ushered to me. So if he says that, and even if he says Hayom, so I should say specifically if he says Hayom, the tax collector is going to say, hey, wait one second. You said they're going to be ushered to you only today, meaning tomorrow they're going to be muttered to you. And are you trying to pull a fast one on me? So if he admits that I'm only making this nether for today, that's not going to be a binding enough nether, an extreme enough nether to convince the tax collector that he really means it. So by saying Hayom, that doesn't get him out of the woods. It's not going to get the tax collector off his back. So explains the Gemara, you're right. Be'omer belibo hayom. He says in his heart, hayom, in his heart he says, today, umoti besvasav stam. But when he says it, when the words come out of his mouth, he says it ambiguously. In other words, he says the fruits of the world will be ushered to me, but he does not actually utter the word hayom. That he just says in his mind. And he explains the Gemara, v'yafal gav desfir alon dvarim shebelev enon dvarim. And even though we have a principle that dvarim dvarim, that that matters of the heart, which are not uttered by the mouth, are not considered binding, but when it comes to this extenuating circumstance where things are beyond his control, he's kind of forced into this corner where he has to make this nadir. So now it's different. And even though normally we don't give any credence to what he says only in his heart, right now we do give credence to that. But the point is, the Gemara is saying, in this answer that we differentiate between what is coming out of his mouth and what is in his heart. This um, really brought to my attention the connection that we find to our partial when Rashi describes Yaakov Avinu. Even though you might think, oh, look at Yaakov with a bold-faced lie, and there are midrashim upon midrashim that try to explain how Yaakov perhaps uttered words that were truth, but just before we get to evaluate Yaakov based on his actions, Rashi pre-evaluates Yaakov after Yaakov grows up, and we get to learn about his personality, which is described in the Torah. The Torah first describes Esav as Yodei Tzayid, and Rashi explains, someone who is capable of trapping and, and deceiving his father with his mouth. And Rashi gives different examples of how Esav was able to do so. But then the, the Chumash goes on to explain the personality of Yaakov, who was an Ishtam, how does Rashi define Ishtam? He's not an expert in all these things. Rather, Kilibo came piv. Like his heart, that's what you see in his mouth. Someone who's not um, clever and ingenious in the art of deceiving people, he's called a Tom. He's called simple. But what's the point? The point that I obviously want to highlight is Kilibo came piv. With Yaakov Avinu, in general, 
It was never a Devarim Shevalev. Anything that was in his lave always came out into his words, meaning Yaakov, broadly speaking, and we could say not just broadly speaking, but in, in his essence, he was a, an honest person. He was an Ishtam, and not just an Ishtam, but Tam are the same um, two of the three letters of the word Emes, because Yaakov not only was an Ishtam, but he was an Ish Emes at that. Now you might try to explain, okay, but how can you defend Yaakov for perhaps violating what we would think as being uh, the Yisra of Midvar Shekir Tirchak or Gnevastas, and is Yaakov allowed to in the circumstance that he's in? And what we have to assume is that just like we find context in our Gemara for places where halachically you have the permission to bend the truth, and even in the case of a neder and a shvua, possibly. So we don't see in this story that Yaakov is making any neder or shvua, but yes, Yaakov is doing what we would call um, we would call it misleading, perhaps even lying. And again, even though the Medrash goes out of its way to explain that the words Yaakov uttered themselves, as misleading as they might have been, Yaakov didn't, ex- um, didn't explicitly lie, but the point is that there is perhaps room to explain that if Yaakov was listening not just to his mother, because you know your your parent can't just tell you to violate halacha, but if Yaakov was doing so with Eitzah from Nevuah, there perhaps we have room for defense for Yaakov Avinu, whom perhaps in his circumstance was allowed to bend the truth. And you might say that this opens a Pandora's box and and, and, a, and a can of worms, allowing all of us to lie whenever we see fit, and clearly. The Gemara is giving circumstances where where life is perhaps threatened. That's in the case of the Haragin. And even if not, by the way, the Mepharshim, the Mepharish, and, and, and other Mepharshim, Tosfos, on our daf, explain that even in the case of the tax collector, the unlawful tax collector, or the thieves, who won't necessarily kill you, and they're just going to try to take fina- you know, a financial um, element away, even then, there's a defense for bending the truth in the context of a nadir. The whole point that I'm trying to get at is it's not merely in life-threatening circumstances that you are allowed to bend the truth. And perhaps Yaakov Avinu was in one of those circumstances where he does not compromise his mida as an ishemes, but he's in a circumstance where halachically um, he is justified in bending the truth. And the point for us is we can appreciate the subtlety of the very complicated story, which we've spoken about on the podcast in the past, of Yaakov Avinu and his quote-unquote deception, and perhaps still be able to see Yaakov Avinu in the light as someone who is not only a tzaddik, but an ishtam, an ish emes, and uh, someone worthy of that kind of title. Anyway, if you enjoyed this share and others like it on the podcast, you want to partner up with us um, at the database for the sponsorship, or if you have questions, comments, concerns, recommendations, or you want to join the database podcast WhatsApp group for updates and links for every uploaded share, then all you have to do is reach out to me at thedatabase at gmail.com. That's the data then base, B-E-I-S at gmail.com. Enjoy the rest of your week. Thank you for joining us here at the database.